morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody here, out on the lawn, in live stream. We are so glad that you're here. Can I have this pulpit, please? Thank you. Um, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 20. And uh, we are back inside. We did a really, really great video on explaining what church uh, inside looks like. We're going to show that at the end of the service, just for those who, the, of you who haven't seen it. Uh, but we, we do want to say this, our desire is to be outside. That's where we want to be. We love the baptisms. We, it's probably safer out there. Uh, the problem is we have to make that decision early in the week. It's not as easy as it looks, so give us grace. Our equipment melts down. We're not NBC where they spend $500,000 on a camera and equipment. So uh, we're trying to do outside, inside, streaming, all this stuff. So we will try to be outside. We'll throw a couple Saturday nights in, keep watching the web. Uh, but I must say, I do like air conditioning inside. This feels really, really good. Uh, there is a Innovate meet and greet at 12 o'clock, uh, right after the service. Uh, early in the COVID experience, some of our families were hemming and hauling about would they send their children in the fall? Because if it's just going to be Zoom, uh, then why don't I just save the money? Now we're seeing an uptick. We're actually seeing a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, uh, we looked at our situation, we've had a time to reflect, and now we're starting to get people that never considered Christian school. We are classical, innovative, Christian, and uh, there's just a meet and greet with all the teachers. You can kick the tires, uh, see what you think about Christian education. So lots of good stuff going on. Uh, by the way, uh, Emily, I asked her to play that song. That's Audrey Assad, if you want to download it. Uh, basically, everything I'm going to say today is condensed in that song. So just go home and keep listening to that song, and you'll kind of get it more than what I'm going to share with you. Uh, John chapter 20, let's look at verse 19. John says, then, the same day at evening, this is Easter Sunday, Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, it's evening, John's there, he's an eyewitness. Being the first day of the week, it's Sunday, when the doors were shut, they, some, some translations locked, uh, for fear of the Jews. It, they were barricaded. The idea is these guys are afraid for their lives. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Shalom. That's even today in Israel. That's the, the greeting. Peace be with you is our translation. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples, when they saw him, were glad. Now, Luke tells us they thought they were seeing a vision or a spirit. Jesus said, does the spirit have flesh and bone? Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace I say to you, shalom, as the Father has sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where Christians become their worst enemies. They spend so much time on when do we really receive the spirit? Was it here? Was it when he, when he breathed on them? Was it Pentecost? Don't get caught up in all that. We'll talk about later why that's important. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Now Thomas, this will be our encounter, called the twin. He was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. And he said, unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and my finger into the print, I can put my hand in the side, I'll not believe. Eight days later, can you imagine this? Eight days later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas now is with them. 
Jesus came, the doors being locked again, stood in their midst and said, Shalom. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. My nickname for him is Believing Thomas. You've heard other nicknames. And Tom, Thomas answered and said, this is the first person after the resurrection to say this, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed, that's everybody here, I think. Blessed, this is a beatitude, are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And again, if you're a Christian today, uh, you're in that category. We have two encounters with Jesus left. Thomas, next week, Peter will be done with the Gospel of John. These two final chapters, John 20, John 21, are my favorite two chapters in John, maybe also the entire Bible. It excites me to no end, not for the reason you think it might, right? So when preachers preach about the resurrection, even when worship leaders play one of these Easter anthems like Jesus rose from the dead, uh, we sometimes chide people for not like getting excited like we're in a pep rally, right? Like everybody should cheer. If you could cheer at a football game, why can't you cheer for the resurrection? Well, I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I know why people don't cheer. It happened 2,000 years ago. We know it happened. It's historical. Usually when there is like rash excitement is when something's happening in real time we don't know about, like a guy scores a touchdown. But the other reason, I've been driving this point for weeks, is this. No one saw Jesus rise from the dead. We have something better. We have people that saw the risen Christ. Do you understand how powerful that is? Do you understand why the early church was shot out of a cannon? Do you realize why there was no opposition? Do you realize why it took root? When, when Paul went to Athens in places where they didn't believe at all or had the Old Testament, he preached Jesus and the resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians said that Jesus was seen by the 12, by Peter, by James, by over 500. Um, if you're old school like me and have a Bible, uh, your very next page is Luke, or it's Acts. It's Luke 2, if you know what I'm talking about. And Luke says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all Jesus began to do and teach. This is chapter 1, verse 1. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, get this, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of things concerning the kingdom. Jesus had this 40-day ministry appearing to all kinds of different people. I have no idea the 500 people. He appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. He has this, like, sub-ministry. Here's why it excites me. I don't know the future. If I knew the future, I'd be a bazillionaire, especially 2020, right? If I could have predicted all this, gosh, I'd be wealthy beyond measure. I have no idea what the future holds for anybody in this room nor myself. Now, my prayer is that we just sang about it, that God would bless you immeasurably. If you're longing to get married, I pray he brings you a spouse. If you want to have kids, I pray that he bless the fruit of your womb. Uh, I know God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Jeremiah, he has great plans for you. I get all that. There is one thing I do know about the future, is there is pain and suffering. No one escapes it. 
Jesus said the day has tribulation for itself. Uh, you're going to face tribulation. It's coming. Peter said when the fiery cut trial comes, don't think it's a strange thing. Um, it, it's coming, guys. We're all walking with a limp. And if it's not happening to us, it's happening to somebody else. Uh, there's a gentleman I met in Kenya who I support privately, not through the church. He's not in any ministry. He's a teacher in the Mathari slum. And God just dropped into my heart to support this guy. I've known him for six years and sent him some money through Western Union. He wrote me just a crushing email back. Pastor Bob, thanks so much. Uh, he's a teacher in Kenya. And what happens in a place like Kenya is they follow the West, right? So if we shut everything down, they shut everything down. Here's the problem. He hasn't taught since March. They're not opening schools until January. So you know what happens in Kenya? No unemployment with the $600 kicker, right? He makes $9 a day. $9 a day. And then nothing. He's got to look at kids like you look at kids. And why was he born there and I was born here? I don't have the answers to those questions. But here's what I know. When we get through this life, the future for all of us is glorious. How do I know? Resurrection. Pastor Bob, I'm not following you. What are you talking about? Paul's commentary, 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to know anything about the resurrection, it's not here in the Gospels. It's 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says that Christ is the first fruits of all those who would rise from the dead. For since by man Adam came death, by man comes resurrection. For if in Adam we all die, in Christ we will all be made alive. So we have a great data bank. Like everybody's died, like every funeral you've been to, that's your data bank on Adam. Everybody died. Now you have a new data bank. After Christ, everybody will be resurrected. Resurrection is in your future and my future. Paul even goes into detail that there's order, Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, those who are in Christ in his coming, then the kingdom. He goes on and on until the last enemy is defeated. Here's what he's saying. Um, I'm going to bring it into, into uh, the 20th century, 21st century, right? So he's using an agrarian term where you know, if you get the first fruit, it means you're getting a big harvest. Like for those of you who have gardened, like when you get the first tomato, you know in two weeks you'll be knocking on neighbors' doors because you have way too many tomatoes. Uh, when I was hired into the aerospace industry, it was because they were building a prototype. Same idea. Jesus is the prototype. So when Boeing builds a new airplane, they work on it for maybe a decade. They work out all the kinks. Once they have it running, they can build a thousand of them. Jesus in the resurrected form in the Gospels is your future. It's glorious. The Bible says when we see him, what happens? We're going to be like him. We're going to be like he is in this encounter with Thomas and with Peter. Now, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Greeks and the Romans doubted all this. See, they thought in the next life you would be like a superhero, a spirit. The disciples are maybe thinking they're seeing a vision. And so when Paul writes here, he says, now, uh, there are some who say, um, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Paul said, they're foolish. Those questions are foolish. Why? 
Um, because what is sown is not made alive until it dies. And he goes through this whole thing about seeds, right? So I was just out in California looking at the Grand Redwoods. Now they start with a little acorn, and then some of them grow to 300 feet tall, and they're thousands of years old. But again, if you garden, you put a seed. That's dead in the ground, and it produces life. Paul said there's a natural understanding to all this. But here's where it gets good. 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man, Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord of heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Here's the payoff. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, one day you're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. Now that should get blood moving, Right? Now, I'm blunt, so pardon the expression. One day you're going to be in a casket. You won't be there. Your body will be there. Why? Because you're of Adam. That's the proof. You were made in the likeness of Adam. One day in that same body, you're going to be dancing and singing and eating and conversing because Jesus was the first. Guys, this is exciting. This is the pattern. This is our future. So, so when we see him, we'll be like him. What was he like? Well, uh, merge all the four Gospels, even what we read in John. Jesus is physical. He's in, listen, he's in the same body. You have to understand that. There's no religion in the world. There's no worldview that's ever been created where you are in bodily form after this life. See, the Greeks and Romans believed in like, Superheroes, those were the Greek gods. And if there was life or death, that's what you would be. Notice how ordinary Jesus is? He's so ordinary, nobody knows it's him. They think he's the gardener. He's eating breakfast with the guys. He's walking, he's conversing. Uh, there's definitely changes, we'll get to that in a minute. If this were a made-up story, Jesus would have had wings. He would have been like a Marvel comic. The writers would have embellished this to, ap to appeal to a Greek and Roman world, but they didn't. Jesus has all his same faculties. Listen to this. He bears the scars. Do you ever wonder why? Sometimes we're taught we're going to have resurrected bodies, which we think is like the new you. So if you're bald, you're going to have thick hair. Some of you are counting on that. I know you are. We're going to be thin. We're going to be buff, right? Everybody's counting on that, right? Big nose, you're going to have a small nose. Like small lips, you'll have big lips now. Things change over time, I guess. Why does Jesus have scars? We don't know. It's all conjecture. I think one reason is, is for all of eternity to show his great love for us. And you can get real far out on this. I have commentaries that talk about, in Isaiah, the, uh, the wounds, how people would put tattoos on their hands of loved ones. I can't prove any of that. But I remember being at a house concert one time, and there was a girl who was playing the piano. And before she sang one of her songs, she said, I want to dedicate this to my favorite cousin who just died at 43. He had Down syndrome. And for 43 years, uh, had this wonderful relationship with him. And because she's a Christian, when he died, everybody at the funeral said, aren't you excited to see what he'll look like in heaven and be the person he was meant to be? And she said, you know, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him just the way he was. Now, 
God's going to change all that because there's malfunctions of the body. But maybe we'll bear the scars. See, one of the reasons for the scars is, you know, what we call Good Friday was Bad Friday. See, we think it's Good Friday because Jesus died. For most of the followers of Jesus, the two on the road to Emmaus, Mary Magdalene, the 12, it was Bad Friday. When those nails went in Jesus' hands, that was bad. That was the end of all their hopes and dreams, their Lord, their friend, confidant. But now the same wounds are their joy. See, the Bible teaches that God will take good and make, take bad and make it good. He'll take grief and sorrow and make it joyful. How does he do it? I don't know. And then one day we'll look back and we'll understand and maybe we'll carry some scars. Maybe the scars will be proof of all that God has done. How about the book of Zechariah when Jesus comes again and the Jewish nation sees their Messiah for the first time in their belief and what do they say? Where did you get those wounds? And he said, when I was in the house of my friends. Oh my goodness. Jesus' scars prove that he wasn't a vision. It wasn't a brand new body. It was the same body. Now, there were changes, right? Uh, he can move through locked doors. Uh, he says, does a spirit have flesh and bone? So there's no blood structures, no beating heart. There seems to be new enhanced abilities. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we know this, that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Paul said, this body's groaning because there's something coming that's, he didn't say this, I'm modernizing it, really cool, really cool. Jonathan Edwards, who, by the way, you should read one thing on Jonathan Edwards. Because he wrote Sinners in the Hands of God, we think he's like this uptight, staunch Puritan. Jonathan Edwards enjoyed life. He really did. He, 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 he was like David in his writing, actually. You know what he said? He said, we have five physical senses he said, maybe in heaven we'll have a hundred. Now, I can't comprehend that. But what if we have seven? Now, I'll tell you the rest of my day. I have a friend in from Florida. I'm making him a Costco steak. Don't look at me like that. You all been to Costco the whole pandemic. I know, because I've seen you there. I'm making him a Costco steak. Costco's the new church, by the way, right, in America. Parking lot is full. They're the only organization who have to double their parking lot. Don't get me started. <laughs> then we're golfing. But when I make that steak, smell on the grill. Is there anything like it? Then you eat it. Is there anything like that? Then if you put another steak on the grill, even if you're full, it still smells good. The Wall Street Journal had two reviews this week on books about smell. Scientists still can't figure it out. They, they, they don't understand the trigger from the nose in olfactory to the brain that triggers memory, like the apple pie reminds me of grandmom's house. So what if God gives us a kicker of two senses? Like two senses on top of seeing, hearing, touching, smelling? Oh my goodness. It's amazing. Guys, this is so fresh to me. Thursday I was at a funeral. Uh, my wife's cousin, her closest cousin, who... Gosh, before we were married, we'd stay at her house down the shore. Um, she got saved five years ago at Coastal Christian, which was like, wow. 
And then we really got tight over that. And then her husband came to Christ. And then two years ago, we went down to their baptism at the ocean. Last October, we were planning like a joint vacation this summer, camping, which they loved. Somewhere around Christmas, she got sick. We found out she had liver cancer. She died when we were in California. And there I am at the funeral, Thursday, and this is my text. And I'm looking at that casket. And, man, we're so fallen. Everything we know about God, everything we know about faith, when you look at pain and loss, and, and I'm quickly reminded, we must think on heavenly things. We must. We have to be heavenly minded. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Maybe we'll live to 100. It's still a vapor. The early, the early church lived in the reality of resurrection. It was a way of life. The problem in America is we live in paradise. We live in like a pre-heaven. Every time I leave Israel, my Jewish guide says, you're going back to paradise. And he lives in one of the most developed countries in the world. We have to be heavenly minded. Now, this encounter brings out a second reality that I think we all need to brush up on. When Jesus appears to Thomas, he says, Thomas, come. Touch my hands, put your finger in the side. And the reason he does that is because the first time he comes, Thomas isn't there. And when the disciples tell Thomas the Lord's risen, he's like, no, 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 no. Guys, come on. It's only been a couple days. You're not going to fool me. Unless I can touch him, I'm not going to believe. Now, he gets a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas. Don't call him that in heaven or if you see him. I actually believe he's believing Thomas. My Lord and my God. Um, all the disciples doubt it. Do you think Mary Magdalene was going to the tomb because she believed in resurrection? No, she was going to add more spices to the body. The guys are hiding. They're in a locked room. N.T. Wright, who's done probably the greatest work on on crucifixion and resurrection, said this, if you want to believe anything about the, the ancient world, no one believed in resurrection. When you're dead, you're dead. They weren't stupid. Everyone was doubting. All of us had our doubts and were skeptics before we came to Christ. Jesus never chides him for unbelief. In fact, the man has courage. Like all the other disciples, he left something behind to follow Jesus. In John 6, 66, when Jesus said, are you guys leaving? He, along with Peter, said, no, you have the words of eternal life. Now, I will say this. He is Eeyore-ish. Anybody have or know it? Don't look at somebody. Don't raise your hand. We all know Eeyore-ish people, right? Some of us are hard chargers. Some of us are Eeyore-ish, right? He's a little Eeyore-ish, right? Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem. And uh, he, he wants to go. One disciple says, Lord, you know, they're going to kill you there. And Jesus said, no, we need to go there. And Thomas is like, okay, we'll go there and die with you. <laughs> now, let me say this. It's another proof that the gospel's true. Because temperament and faith aren't the same thing. You could be born again, and your temperament can be Eeyore-ish, right? This amazes me. In my 38 years as a Christian, I've seen gullible people that are Christians. I've seen cynical people that are Christians. I've seen people from every temperament possible 
who believe in Jesus. If this was all made up, only gullible people would be saved. And by the way, did you know we're all gullible? Right? Uh, Barnum said he would never work a day in his life because there's a sucker born every minute. And when pe- we're so prideful when we read that quote, we're like, yeah, there's a sucker born every minute. Like, but I was born 30 seconds before the minute. Like, everybody else is a sucker. Now, what Barnum was said, everybody's a sucker for something. But temperament here, even Eeyore-ish people believe. Here's why I call him believing, Thomas. When Jesus comes and says, Thomas, put your fingers, he never does. The presence of Jesus alone was enough. Here's my point. If you're going to walk a journey with Christ, doubt will be a part of your journey. A life of faith has an element of doubt. Now, what we need to talk about is what is the element? Is it 2%? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? But doubt will be with you all of your life. Why? We're fallen. We're fragile. There's an enemy out there with fiery darts. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Bad things happen to good people. Jesus said there's tribulation, there's sorrow. We know history. There's suffering and there's death. And so doubt will always be a part of our faith. Soren Kierkegaard said, only he who doubts can ever believe. And I agree. C.S. Lewis, one of the most respected authors, apologists of all time, a former atheist, said, now that I'm a Christian, I do not have moods in which the whole thing looks improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. You know what Lewis is saying? He's opening the door to an atheist mind saying, look, I talked a good talk how God didn't exist, but man, there were days where it looked really true. Everybody doubts. And the reason why it looked true to atheists is because, you know, you go to the Grand Canyon, you stand at the ocean, you look at the animal world, you look at the human body, you you look at the history of the church, and gosh, this really looks true. Lewis went on to say, I believe in God as I believe that the sun is risen, not because I see it, but because I see everything else by it. So I want to give you these three reasons to hold on to when doubt comes your way. Um, And the first is by Robbie Zacharias. Second is by Dr. Uh, Timothy Johnson. And the third and the worst of them all is from me. But I'll start with Robbie because he's the best. Ravi says, when doubt comes your way, don't take two steps back, take one. You all hear that? When doubt comes your way, don't take two steps back. In other words, don't say God doesn't exist, God's evil, God doesn't care. Just take one step back. David argued with God, so did Job. Wrestled, Jacob wrestled with God. John Corson Uh, pastors Applegate Christian Fellowship. If you read our book, Harvest, the history of Calvary Chapel, it has most of the prominent guys who started very large churches. John was the only normal one. Grew up in a Christian home, uh, was a leader in his youth group, went to Biola, got a degree, and um, started a church, and uh, all the other guys were like dropouts and drug addicts, right? Uh, Well, John and his wife were going skiing, and they got in a car accident, and he lived and she died. Left him three kids under five. I heard John preach a sermon, oh gosh, 25 years ago called Limping Through Life. 
preached his wife's funeral. I think she died on a Friday. He preached her funeral. I think he preached Sunday at church and then her funeral. And he tells the story how when it was all over, he went to a cabin in the woods and put the kids all in bed and just sat there and said, why God? He took a step back. And he asked the question that has no answers. And then went through the card catalog of his mind, how God had saved him and how God had helped them start a church and how God had done this. And, and, you, and you just recalibrate and you go through a season. Uh, I was just out at the Convoy of Hope, which we raised $30,000 for. Uh, just a fantastic ministry that feeds people around the world. Its founder, Hal Donaldson, told his story. How when he was seven years old, the police showed up at his house and told him his parents had been in a car accident. And uh, his father died and his mother lived. They had three siblings, four kids. They were living in a trailer park. They, they already had no money. And the cops said to uh, all the people that were living there, they said, um, now we'll take these kids down to the precinct, but I know what's going to happen. They're going to be put in foster comes, homes and we probably can't keep them together. Will anybody here take them until the mother gets better? And one family in a double wide trailer took them in. That dad worked overtime to feed those four kids they were part of a church. Uh, when they went back with the mom, people in that church bought them sneakers. They were still dirt poor. When Hal went to college and became a journalist, he said, when you grow up poor, your whole desire is to never be poor again. But he went and he visited Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And she said, what are you doing for the poor? And he said, not a whole lot. And started Convoy of Hope, and the rest is history. They feed 100,000 people a day. And he said the whole reason he started it was one act of kindness. One act of kindness. If his dad never dies, there's no Convoy of Hope. That's not why his dad died, but if he doesn't die, there's no Convoy of Hope. Hal Donaldson took a step back. He didn't take two and say God is evil and doesn't exist. He took one step back. And again, we're not going to get all the answers but maybe that'll serve you well. When doubt arises in me, I think of Dr. Timothy Johnson. For those of you who watch World News Tonight, uh, back in the days of Peter Jennings, he was the medical editor. And um, he was a Christian. I didn't know it then. He had joint positions at Harvard Medical and Massachusetts General Hospital, so he's a pretty smart guy. He said, doubt doesn't have to tear down belief. However, it can purify it. Think about this. Remember Job? What he had come through all those things, what he said. He said, now I know my Redeemer lives. I've heard of you through the hearing of the ear, but now I see you face to face. And listen to this statement. And in my flesh, I will see God. And he didn't mean here. He said, though the worms eat me in my flesh, I will see God. Wow. Daniel, we, the, the list would go on and on. Paul, the things he went through. When it does, the beliefs on the other side become more certain. This is why I would like to affirm that it's possible to find God even while you're struggling and asking the big questions. Thomas just wanted evidence. Thomas only wanted the evidence Jesus gave the guys. When Jesus walked in the room, he didn't say, here I am. He said, guys, here I am. Here's the scars. He knows we need evidence. The people we're leading the Christ need evidence. If you're watching on live stream, there's evidence. Look, our church exists. We started this from the ground up for one purpose. 
That there would be a place where if you want anonymity, you can have it. If you want to be known, you can be known. But there would be a place where you could come and we're going to teach you the only thing that matters, truth. Sometimes you'll like it, sometimes you won't. But you're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear about God and who he is. You're going to hear it from the scriptures and hopefully it leads you to crossing the line of faith. Thomas went on to be in the upper room, filled with the Spirit. Extra biblical literature tells us he went to India. And all that we see in India today, he sowed the seeds. And that little bit of doubt has brought life. So the first thing you do is you take one step back, not two. Uh, the second thing that you do is even through your struggles, you see if you can find God on the other side. And then this one comes from me. Kind of made it up myself and it served me well. Uh, you know the old phrase, when you starve a cold, feed a fever? And if I'm saying it wrong, I, I Googled it. 99% of the people say it wrong, so whatever way it is. I've always believed if you starve your doubts and feed your faith, you'll do well. Now, I'm not saying get a lobotomy. I'm not saying become Amish. I'm not saying don't wrestle with doubt. What I'm saying is when doubt comes your way, what, somebody told me this years ago, write it down. And then maybe over the years, God will answer it somewhere, somehow. But don't be this kind of person who's looking for all the loopholes, right? One time, uh, oh gosh, you know, uh, what was his name? Uh, oh my goodness. Anyway, famous guy said this one time. He, he was a guy that you would never believe would be a Christian. Uh, W.C. Fields, uh, who none of us should like because he said he passed through Philadelphia one time. In other words, there's D.C. and New York, but I don't know why I'm getting into that. Uh, W.C. Fields was looking through the Bible one day, and somebody said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm looking for loopholes. And so I hate these people today, and they're out there, and some of them are authors. That's all they do is question Christianity. Um. What if the missionary got a flat tire on the way to your village, right? Come on, give me a break. There's nothing wrong with questions. You can't live in the question world. Uh, but write your questions down. Uh, Pastor Erwin Mann tells a story. He pastors Mosaic in L.A. He was on a college campus one day, and uh, he was ministering to this young lady who had something tragic happen in her life, and she was doubting God was good or that now he even existed. And Erwin took her through scripture and he did everything a counselor would do and finally he didn't know what to do and he said, well, what could God do for you that you would believe he still loves you and he exists? And her answer was, make it snow. And he said, I gotta tell you, the next morning on that college campus there was snow everywhere. Now, everybody's got a story like that but can we live like that? Like, in other words, every time something happens that's bad in life, can God be the genie in the bottle that we dial up so that, you know, God, write my name in the clouds today and I'll get through this. It's not normative, right? There's things in the book of Acts that are wow. And there'll be some wow moments in your Christian life, but it's not normal Christian living. So how do you starve your your fears, how do you starve your doubts, how do you feed your faith? You guys know the answer. 
scriptures. See, the Bible doesn't hide doubt. John the Baptist, who was the greatest man born of woman by Jesus' admission, sent a contingency to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we look for another? Wow. Jesus didn't say, John, I'll make it snow tomorrow. I'll write your name in a cloud. He said, go tell John this. Blind see, deaf hear, poor of the gospel preached. You know why John doubted? He knew he was never getting out of that prison. He knew he was going to die in that prison. Doubt comes our way. Jesus said, John, hold on. There's something greater happening, something grander beyond all the things. The two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus didn't say, look, let me take off my shirt and watch these wings pop out. He said he took them through the Old Testament and showed them the scriptures pertaining to him. And you know what happened? Their hearts burned within them. He didn't make it snow. He made their heart. They said, this is the feeling we had when he taught when he was here. We've all had that feeling. You know, there is one thing I can come down on Thomas for. And uh, gosh, there's a hundred things he'll probably get me on when I die. Why wasn't he in the room? Like, you ever think about that? Ten guys got the memo. Like, uh, Mary Magdalene sold Jesus, and Peter and John run to the tomb, and somehow they got the word out, and, and ten followers are in the room. Where's Thomas? Uh, I tell people, this is like my 101 leadership thing I learned in life. 90% of life is showing up. I tell people that all the time. And, and I'm going to say it now just because we have live stream, right? Live stream is a blessing and a curse. So live stream, the, the coronavirus, this is, this is the advantage that's happened through coronavirus. The church all of a sudden has dominated the media world. We, we figured something out to get the gospel out. That's brilliant. For the people who really have to stay home, it's a wonderful tool. My fear is the people who are able-bodied, they're just going to opt for it for convenience. Here's why. 90% of life is showing up. And I can tell you 100 stories. I can tell you every seat I was ever sitting in when God put something in my heart in a room like this. Every person I've met, every friend I have came through live interaction. And you know what Thomas missed? <laughs> Jesus. He missed Jesus. Like a one in a million of all the people that ever lived thing to be in a room with Jesus with 10 people he missed. Oh my goodness. Paul said Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried according to the scriptures. Rose again according to the scriptures. Peter said we've declared to you the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't give you cunningly devised fables. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty and that's not the best part. We gave you a more short of word of prophecy. In other words, we confirmed the Old Testament. So in the pandemic, we get like, everybody gets five or six uh, texts or emails a day about the virus, right? Or politics or something. So I thought I'd share the one thing I could share and not get fired for it today. And it applies to what I'm teaching. Make sure you test positive for faith. 
Keep your distance from doubt and isolate yourself from fear. Trust in God through it all. What if Christians quarantine themselves to the level we are now for the virus, which we should, from fear, sin, and doubt? The Bible says you haven't resisted the bloodshed. You know, Jesus bled in the garden. What if Christians had done that? What if we took our faith so seriously that we took it as serious as a virus? I know I haven't. I'll be the first one to admit, there are, before the coronavirus, there, look, there's measures in my life to guard against sin, but not to the measure what people are doing for the virus. I'll let that sit out there a little. There's going to be a thousand of these, by the way, illustrations once we get through all this. But I want to close on what may be the most important thing about this exchange, and it's the first thing Jesus says. Jesus said seven things on the cross. He said seven things after the resurrection. And one of them, he says, is, as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. The most important thing in Jesus' mind was go tell people that I love them. Tell people about my resurrection. Tell people who are lost they can be found. And by the way, the only way you'll do it is with the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, the church was shot out like a rocket. There was no defense. There was no stopping it. So about six weeks ago, I woke up, and uh, God kind of got a hold of me and said, talking about that extension campus for five years, why don't you start it now? And the penny dropped. Yeah. Yeah, see, see, we thought we had to do it perfect. We thought we had to do it with excellence. We, we thought we had to buy equipment, go find the right place. Why don't we do it now? Having less people is good. We don't have to do all the smoke and mirrors. So three weeks ago, we put things in place while the world's shutting down to go to the other side of the county, which is 500,000 people, not counting Chester County and Delaware and all the other places we reach. And we have put a date on the wall, the middle of October, to start a campus out in the Ardmore, Bryn Mawr, Havertown area to reach more people. Do you know why? Because it's what we started this church for. I'm not a politician, guys. I'll pastor and lead you through this pandemic, but I'm not a politician. I'm not here to maintain. I'm here for the same reason I was here 37 years ago. I couldn't find a Bible-believing church. And we still have in our DNA that the expression of what we do, others need to hear. Others need to have the story. When I see people in that baptism, that's what moves me. That's why I do what I do. And I'll do it until the day God tells me to stop. Jesus' final words, go and tell others. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of the Spirit. We thank you, God, that you're always moving out. You're always moving, God, always pushing. And it's because of those scars. God, there's a lot of hurting people out there. You know it. You told us. People don't know their left hand from their right. God, we want them to hear this story. We want them to experience what we've experienced. 
We want to get out of our comfort zone, God, and be part of the Great Commission. And Lord, one day when we walk around and see each other in new bodies, where maybe we bear the scars, we'll talk about your goodness and your grace and your wonder. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, uh, if you could just do me one favor. Uh, I'm gonna show this video real quick. It's for everybody on live stream, the lawn and in the room, uh, so that you know when we are inside, there's protocol. Look, this is my mask. For all the people that say Pastor Bob doesn't wear a mask, it's right here. Uh, in, in, in church, in the building, when we're socially distanced, we don't need masks, but once we got kind of get out in the atrium and all, we do, or if you converse with people. So, uh, But just do me a favor. Let's watch the video. I'll sit right down with you and watch it, and when the video's over, we can leave. Thanks. What is up, CC Delco family? Taylor here. And due to the high projected temperatures for Sunday morning, we are moving our services inside. Now, that's not to say we're not going to have outdoor church, because we have loved doing that with you, and we're going to try to do as many as possible. But when we do go inside, we have a few guidelines in place, so things are going to look a little different. Come on with me. Let's take a look. When you arrive, you'll enter through the front doors. Be on the lookout for directional signage telling you where to enter and exit. The Table Cafe will be open for you to grab a hot or iced coffee, and all table personnel will be wearing masks and gloves, so we ask that you also wear a mask when you're ordering at the table. We know you missed this. If you have a 5th through 12th grade student, they can go ahead up these stairs for youth group. Youth group will be offered at both the 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. service. Students are going to check in with Pastor Mike when they arrive right on the iPads. And yes, we've got hand sanitizer for afterwards. There's ample space, as you can see, for students to keep a six-foot distance while hanging out before listening to the sermon. Hey, Pastor Mike. Youth group will be held on both the deck and in the chapel. And as you can see, both environments have plenty of space. Now, if you have a child that's five years old through fourth grade, you'll head on over to the typical J-Kids check-in area. At the top of the stairs, you'll be asked a few health questions before entering. Then you'll descend down the stairs, and one of the volunteers will check you in for contactless entry. So be sure that you're following all of the posted signage for the exact route that you're going to take to get your child to their classroom. Pastor Dane may or may not be available to walk backwards to escort you. Now we're going to ask that you take your children to the restroom before services if needed. Then you can drop off your child right around the other corner. Almost there. Here. You also pick up your children here. Now if you enter in, you'll see that we have carpet squares set up for each child to be seated on to ensure distancing. And we also have individual activity baggies. Now you can't miss this giant tent in the Jenkins parking lot, and that's where Children's Church will be when it's nice outside. So you'll check in your kids here and you'll pick them up outside. So after you've grabbed your coffee or dropped off your kiddos, you're gonna enter the sanctuary through these front center doors. Now we're capping the sanctuary at 250 people, so make sure you arrive early. You'll notice that every other aisle is roped off to ensure six feet of distance between you and other families. Now please make sure you exit through the side doors as gestured here.
will see you inside. In light of all of these rules and guidelines, we are grateful that we get to come together and worship our one true living hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you all so much for being a community of respect, love, and grace. We'll see you Sunday. Let's stand, everybody. And uh, our prayer room is open. It is social distance. We know people need a lot of prayer. So uh, even if you're outside, the, the prayer is opening. The table's open. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his grace shine upon you. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, fight hard to live in community in small groups as much as you can. And watch the web. Uh, we'll see you inside. We'll see you outside. We'll see you somewhere, I guess. Um, and the Innovate meet and greet is outside under the canopy. See you all next time. God bless.